Welcome to I Wish They Knew, a show where leaders in business and education share big ideas that deserve more attention in about the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. I'm Joe Hirsch. Today's wish comes from Karen Eldad. Karen is a personal and executive coach and the founder of With Enthusiasm, where she works with high-profile athletes, media personalities, founders, and executives at corporations like Nike, Estee Lauder, and Salesforce. She's a guest lecturer at the Macomb School of Business at the University of Texas at Austin, Hook'em Horns, and her work has been featured in Harvard Business Review, CNBC, and The Today Show. Karen's TED Talk, You Don't Know What You Don't Know, has been viewed over 250,000 times, and I am one of them. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. So what do you wish more people knew? I wish more people were easier on themselves because they knew that they were doing a lot better than they thought. So you think people are not doing as well as they're doing? I think people are hard on themselves, extremely hard on themselves. And in so doing, they lose the big picture of how well they are doing and how close they are to real gold. So do you think that that's an issue of mentality or is that an issue of personal happiness? I think that it's an issue of cultural conditioning. I think that our cultural conditioning emphasizes so much how far we are from the achievement and from the desire that that's where all of our attention goes, the lack, the gap, rather than what we have, what is within us. So focusing on on what we want and not instead appreciating what we have. Would exactly. you say that's fair? Exactly. Okay. So it seems to me that this comes back to an issue of personal happiness. Yes. So how would you define that? Happiness is one of those most uh, misunderstood of all concepts to the point where I think a lot of people have decided to just dismiss it as not a real thing. I've, I've really heard people say that there's no such thing as happiness. It's an unattainable goal. It's an abstract concept, but it's not. It's a very concrete concept. It's been a concrete concept for 30 years, academically speaking, as in it has been researched in the School of Positive Psychology, which is the streak of psychology dedicated to happiness, well-being, gratitude, etc., that was started in the University of Pennsylvania and has since then become the dominant streak of psychology. And now we know what happiness is. Concretely speaking, the definition I personally prefer is happiness is satisfaction with what is and eagerness for more. This is such a simple definition and such a neat definition. Drop, that, also, drop that one more time. That was, that was very powerful. Happiness is satisfaction with what is and eagerness for more. And I have to tell you, this strikes my Jewish soul in a very special way because it's a very Kabbalistic view of happiness. The first part of the definition, ha- satisfaction with what is satisfaction, a simple word to simply describe I'm cool, with things as they are right now. This involves a presence and an understanding that what was, was, and what will be, will be. That's a very Israeli thing to say, but I know everybody understands that. And yet also eagerness for more. Now notice I didn't say obsession with what is more, constantly thinking about more, literally just eagerness, eagerness. I'm anticipating and willing and ready. That's all. And that's the state of happiness. Now, If you dig deeper into the understanding of happiness, you'll understand what Martin Seligman and his research team understood in the University of Pennsylvania, which is there are actually three kinds of happiness diagnosed through the research. The first is garbage and useless, and the other two are actually meaningful. The first, for our intents and purposes, 
is hedonic pleasure. It's the happiness that you derive from, I don't know, buying a new car. I like to say to my husband something that I picked up from one of my teachers. Why don't you buy me a new car? I'll be happy for the afternoon. <laughs> That's a joke, especially since I don't drive. However, um, the second level of happiness starts to get more at the core of, of, of that definition that we just hearkened, and that's flow. Flow is doing something so intently that you lose yourself in it. You lose any sense of time doing it. This is truly satisfaction with what is. It doesn't look like hedonic pleasure. It doesn't look like joviality or bouncing off the walls, but it is genuine happiness. Mm. It's, the it's the happiness you and I probably experience when we're reading something fantastic or when I'm watching a rerun of Frasier. The third type of happiness is meaning. This is the most profound and the only lasting form of happiness is in continuous form of happiness. And that is composed of only two things, gratitude and service. Gratitude and service. So with those concrete components, you can go about turning almost every abstract in your life into a concrete, attainable thing. Purpose, meaning are now things that you can solve for. Happiness is something you can solve for. You know it's not this, you know it is this. And it becomes a much, much simpler exercise. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's a simpler exercise. But that means that happiness is a choice. Of course. But so many people aren't choosing happiness. Why? I don't think they're in the place to choose happiness in many cases. I believe that many people have to have the tools, the facility, and the disposition towards happiness. And many people today are in survival mode. When you're in survival, if you're starving, believe me, you don't care about happiness. You care about eating. And so that's a completely different level. And wherever you are is okay. You will reach it when you are ready and when you are disposable for it. But when you are disposable for happiness, and most of the people I deal with are fully capable of attaining happiness, you then have to really desire it. And in order to desire happiness as a choice, you have to first make the choice to not be unhappy. And today we have enormous and vast choices as humans. And unfortunately, we have almost too many reasons to look for discomfort. So you really have to be very focused here and not only heed to the definitions, but actually decide to go about the work of embodying happiness. Yeah, it's almost about letting go of the things that are weighing you down and keeping you from that happiness before you actually go and actively pursue what it is that will make you happy. Exactly. And I think in, so, in, in what you just said, Joe, you've identified the main obstacle at like the levels that are actually uh, able to attain happiness or people who are really ready for happiness to attain it. It actually is a reductive process. You will need to give up a lot in order to truly become happy. And the first is that first type of happiness, hedonic pleasure, which has such a grip on us, such a grip on our imagination, such a cultural hold on us. When we start to understand that really it's the elimination of choice that will make us happy, we have to start to understand that there will be a price to be paid. Research shows that if you are unhappy, you're going to be unhappy. And the flip of that is also true. If you act happy, you will become happy. But one of the interesting parts of that research is that people who act happy only because others want them to be happy, not only end up unhappier, they end up unhealthier. <laughs> There's a range of medical uh, detriments and health risks that occur to those folks. So how can we help others find happiness without forcing that on them? Ultimately, uh, the, that, that desire 
to improve has to be authentic because otherwise you will absorb all of this intellectually, but you won't embody it. And I have to say, this is a very hard path to walk. This is a, a path where the more you know, the more you can criticize yourself and the more difficult it becomes because you have to really own up to all of your inadequacies and all of your inconsistencies and all of your dishonesty. And all of us have that. It requires a different level of vulnerability of yourself. So truly, uh, I, I, I say this with love, only approach this when you're, when you're ready. Yeah. You know, we might expect high achievers to be happy, but it's actually the opposite that occurs. And you have a wonderful way of describing this. You call it the superstar paradox. Tell us about that. The superstar paradox is my riff off of the paradox of choice. And it's really, it was born of my own paradox. And I coach mostly overachievers or what would be qualified as people who have achieved above and beyond the results of the vast majority of people. And I've noticed that their happiness, their measurable happiness is in direct inverse correlation to their achievement. The more successful they are, the more, more likely they are to be nihilistic, hopeless. This is a very interesting finding that I saw again and again and again and again. And I asked myself, why is this happening? And today I've come to believe, and this is a very simple answer to a really complex question. It's because their targets are way off. Their targets are mostly focused at happiness type one. If we can call them like type one, type two, like diabetes, mm -hmm. happiness type one, hedonic pleasure, status, significance, impact, influence, accumulation of things, accumulation of awards and accolades. That's where their main focus has been. That's what they've received the most rewards for. And after a while, that effect is going to be completely useless. You become what in Buddhism is called the hungry ghost, eating and eating and eating, and it's a bottomless pit underneath that. And so this is truly where the work can begin, because honestly, uh, the realization of that is not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's an opportunity to disrupt those patterns. And I imagine that those symptoms could occur really in anyone, regardless of status or success. So what are some of the ways that we might fight back against those impulses and reclaim our happiness? Well, the first thing you can do is to identify the symptoms. And I think some of the classic symptoms that you really, you're right, Joe, you can identify this in everyone. You and I for sure can identify with these. The first is what I call know-it-all syndrome, also known as invulnerability. I got this. I don't need any help. I've got this. I know this already. The second you're in that territory, you're in the territory of arrogance or pride, emotional arrogance. This happens to all of us, happens to coaches too, by the way. And you really want to catch yourself or you kind of hope that something will disrupt that pattern and you'll learn. The second thing is people pleasing. People pleasing. Uh, there's a coach named Lauren Zander who has said that people pleasing is lying with a spritz of Febreze. I absolutely <laughs> That's love good. that. I That's love good. that. And, and it's true, but people pleasing, when you start noticing that you're acquiescing more to the agendas of others, really, really want people to like you, really want to be seen a certain way, you're, you're out. You definitely are away from the realm of happiness. And so what you truly can start to do to counterbalance this, once you identify these, the second thing you can do is limit your choices, really start to narrow your focus. Narrow your focus around two things. Number one, what gives you flow? What do you love to do? What would you do if nobody paid you? What do you do that makes time stand still? And the second type three happiness, what do you do that can help you reach for meaning? What can you do to cultivate gratitude? And what can you do to actively cultivate service? 
essentially, once you start turning your face in those directions, you can start exercising in a different um, direction almost immediately. I love that distinction. And I also love a distinction that comes up often in the social science on happiness. And that's the distinction between being happy in your life and being happy with your life. And while that may seem somewhat semantical, I think there's something there. What do you think? Oh, man. Well, if you mean happy with your life, as in if I stood outside it and took a look at it, it looked nice to me versus I'm happy to wake up in this life. There's a very enormous distinction. I used to be happy with my life, Joe. Um, about 10 years ago, I had a life that looked fantastic on Instagram. I was married to a, a tall guy with the right kind of look and the right kind of job. And I had the right kind of job, but I woke up with a life that looked fantastic from the outside and had all the accoutrements, the corporate job and the nice clothes and all of that stuff, and really just felt empty inside, an emptiness that's almost indescribable today. Today, I have a life that looks very different. It's messy. I have many animals in my house. I wake up with a very nice gentleman who is just a sweetheart of a human being. That's the only way I would really describe him. And I think I'm much messier as a person. And I love every minute of it. I wake up eager for my days and I can tolerate pain in a completely different way. I'm much less fragile, much, much more resilient, much stronger as a human being. Uh, not perfect, but more honorable. And as a result of that, I can see the distinctions very, very clearly. There is one kind of life that is only living at the superface and living to show that usually looks very good, but doesn't feel very good. There's a life in which you feel very good, but sometimes to the outside, it looks imperfect. That's kind of the price you're going to have to be okay with. The coach is Karen Eldad of With Enthusiasm. Karen, thank you for sharing your wish with us today. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. It helps others find us. For more ideas on how to communicate with impact, visit my website, joehirsch.me. See you next time.